Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. Let's talk benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, health care, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. All right. Another year has come and is almost gone. Uh, so what's been happening? Well, I can't think of anything. It's been a pretty slow news year. We can probably just wrap up the episode right now. You don't need one at all. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) That is not quite true. Uh, 2020 has been quite the year with lots going on here in the United States and across the globe. In fact, we've had a major change here on the podcast, actually. That's right, Julie. Uh, It's a very bittersweet announcement. Kelly Colesrud has retired after 30 years with the International Foundation and has also stepped down from her hosting duties here on the podcast. Yeah, and while we're certainly sad that she won't be joining us for our monthly episode recordings, we're so, so happy for her and wish her nothing but the best. Now she has a ton of time to catch up on her reading and movie watching and eventually traveling. Yes. So Kelly did record a few words for our listeners before she departed. So let's listen in. Hi, listeners. It's true. As of October 30th, 2020, I'm a retiree. It's an exciting new chapter for me, and I'm thankful for my great benefit plan that allows me to retire. But I couldn't leave without saying goodbye to all of you and thanking you for tuning in. Working on this podcast has been an invigorating adventure for me, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Throughout my many years at the International Foundation, I've been so impressed by the knowledge and dedication of those working in the employee benefits industry. Benefits are so important, even though participants don't always remember that. Keep up the good work and remember that the International Foundation is ready to help you in your role with useful, timely benefits information and education. So long and good luck to all of you. Okay, well, let's all get a tissue and dab our tears and get into this episode. Thank you again, Kelly, so much for everything you did for us over the last couple of years. So we are taking a look at the top benefit stories of the past year, which has become our year-end tradition. Plus, we will do our best to make some predictions for 2021. Wait, wait, are we still doing predictions? I'm not sure should we be doing that? We we weren't all that successful with these generally, are we? Shh, Julie, <laughs> this year is going to be different. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> So before we get started, let's uh, quickly rewind a bit. So in last December's show, we made some predictions for 2020. So we should probably take a look at how we fared last year. And if this year has proven anything, uh, it's that no one has a crystal ball. So I'm assuming that we're probably wildly off in our predictions. Well, we won't be so hard on ourselves. We did get one thing right. We predicted that the November election would dominate the news, and it did. It really did in a big way. Now, at the time of our prediction last year, there were still a sizable number of Democratic candidates in the running, all with their own thoughts and plans for the future of health care in this country. So let's take a look at what President-elect Joe Biden's benefit focus might be. So what we know so far is based primarily um, on his campaign platform. 
So on the healthcare side, he uh, has said that he wants to build on the Affordable Care Act or the ACA by giving Americans more choice, reducing healthcare costs, and making the healthcare system less complex than navigates. So one of his ideas to provide more access uh, to care is a public option like Medicare. According to reports, this is not a Medicare for all universal system, but it is a broad healthcare plan that can be used for the uninsured, small businesses, and others. So during his campaign, he also discussed the idea of increasing the amount given to Americans as ACA tax credits, and some other ideas include ending surprise medical billing, uh, lowering the Medicare eligible age to 60, and protecting mental health parity. And uh, he has also discussed several ideas to rein in prescription drug costs, including a repeal of the existing law barring Medicare from negotiating lower prices with drug companies, the establishment of an independent review board to assess the need for and price of specialty drugs, limiting prescription drug price increases to the inflation rate, improving the supply of generics and importation. That was a great high level for the healthcare side. What are his ideas for retirement plans, Justin? Yeah, he has said that he uh, wants to increase the ability of low and middle income workers to save for their retirement by offering tax credits. Specifically, his idea is to give the same tax credit to everyone, 26%, for saving money. So in other words, it doesn't rely on an individual's tax bracket, as do current pre-tax retirement plans like 401ks, for example. He has also said he would like to see more widespread adoption of workplace savings plans and would like to see small business tax credits to offset much of the costs of making these plans available to workers. All right. Thanks for that summary, Justin. So our next prediction was that something, anything would happen with the Department of Labor's fiduciary rule. Did that happen? Well, that's a great question, Anne. At this time last year, the SEC's conflict of interest rule had been finalized, and we were waiting to see what the DOL might release. The SEC's rule became effective June 30th of 2020. And the day before, the DOL released a proposed prohibited transaction class exemption that would permit investment advice fiduciaries to receive compensation as a result of providing fiduciary investment advice. The proposed exemption also contained a five-part test to determine when rollover advice constitutes fiduciary advice under ERISA and the Internal Revenue Code. The DOL stated that these new proposed exemption standards align with the SEC investment advice standards. Now, at the time that we're recording this, we know that the final rule was sent to the Office of Management and Budget for review in late November, and this is a step that has to occur before a rule is released publicly. There's a lot of discussion right now about timing. So when will the rule be released? When will it become effective? Will all of this happen before Inauguration Day? And what will happen with the new administration? There is some speculation that a Biden administration will tackle this issue again. We end this year with fiduciary rule confusion, just like we did last year. Well, at least something is constant. We'll keep, (laughs) keep an eye on that this year. So our third prediction for 2020 was that more employers would begin to offer student loan assistance as a benefit. With the pandemic, there seems to be some opposing forces here. So 
employers may not have had the financial viability to add this as a benefit if they didn't already have it. But employees' need for this assistance was even more urgent. Justin, did we see an uptick in this offering as a benefit, do you think? We did, Anne, but it was very slight. Um, So last year, we found that 4% of employers offered student loan repayment assistance as a benefit, um, with another 2% of surveyed employers considering adding it in the future. So we just wrapped our analysis on our latest benchmarking survey, the 2020 Employee Benefits Survey, and we found that this year, 6% of employers reported offering this benefit. So a little bit of an increase there. Yeah, and it worked really well with what they said they were going to do. So now, Anne, you mentioned the urgent need that individuals have for this type of assistance right now. Of course, with reduced work hours and high unemployment, it's hard to pay down that debt. So how can employers help with that? So shortly after the pandemic was declared, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act, was passed. It included a provision on student loan repayment assistance. Specifically, it expanded educational assistance programs under Internal Revenue Code Section 127 to allow employers to contribute up to $5,250 tax-free for each employee to help with student loan repayments. And this provision is effective through 12-31-20, so through the end of the year here. And Anne, wasn't there additional uh, relief offered? Yes. So the government has allowed individuals to stop making repayments on federal student loans through the end of the year. Interest is waived as well. However, it's important to note that this does not apply to privately issued student loans. That's right. So what about the new type of student loan matching program that was spearheaded by Abbott? We covered it in our August 2019 episode. And if I'm recalling correctly, we were speculating um, last December that maybe this type of program will get some sort of federal legislative or regulatory approval so that more employers could uh, follow the lead and implement it. So uh, what happened with that? Well, excellent memory, Justin. It seems uh, like maybe this was stalled by the pandemic. There were some bills introduced. uh, They didn't really move. More recently, it's been added to the latest version of the retirement reform bill known as Secure Act 2.0, and that's also just pending right now. This had been listed by the IRS in the Treasury Department's 2019-2020 Priority Guidance Plan, but no guidance or ruling was ever released this year on this. However, this has been carried over to the department's 2020-2021 priority guidance plan, so stay tuned. All right, so next we predicted that prescription drug costs would be a focus of legislation. President Trump made lowering prescription drug costs a priority. I remember that last year we talked about drug ads, pharmacy, benefit manager, or PBM negotiations with drug makers and drug importation from Canada and other countries. Was there any legislative or regulatory movement there? Yeah, and so this continued to be a priority for the Trump administration. Um, The president issued several executive orders to lower drug prices, um, but they had little impact. In September, the FDA and the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, issued a final rule on the importation of certain prescription drugs from Canada. In November, three pharmaceutical organizations filed suit against this final rule, citing concerns about patient safety. So here's really another case of stay tuned. 
And uh, as Justin shared earlier, this is an issue of importance to Joe Biden. So we'll see what happens in 2021. So our final prediction for 2020 focused on changes in the healthcare industry as a whole. So we had our eyes on Amazon uh, because they had just launched Amazon Care, which is a new telemedicine benefit for its employees living and working in Washington state. Yeah, and now Amazon has been in the spotlight because they've announced that they're moving into the pharmacy industry. Whether you're calling these companies disruptors or innovators, they've continued making strides in the healthcare industry, I would say. We've heard about Apple stepping into consumer health records, Microsoft Cloud for healthcare, and the Mayo Clinic's work with Google to advance digital diagnostics. Companies with less well-known names are also working in predictive analytics, consumer purchasing tools, in-home testing, and personalized health insurance products. It'll be really interesting to watch for further developments in 2021 because this is moving so quickly. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The International Foundation has over 31,000 members across the U.S. and Canada from all walks of the work world. And we'd love it if you join our ranks. Foundation members get a ton of benefits like personalized research services, discounted registration for our many educational events, free webcasts and legal and legislative updates, just to name a few. See what the foundation can do for you. Visit ifebp.org slash membership today. And we're back. Okay, so this is the part of the episode where we traditionally move on to the big stories from the past year. And I have to say, uh, much of what we just covered were some of the big stories for 2020. So I guess we didn't get it all wrong. No, I think we did okay in at least identifying the stories, even if we weren't really right on the progress of them or the outcomes. So let's tackle some of the other big benefits uh, stories for 2020. Okay, let's go. So the pandemic brought upheaval everywhere and the workplace was no exception. Many organizations were forced to implement flexible work arrangements. Work-life balance is an imperative for organizations as employees face new unexpected challenges. I'm sure we all can relate to, to this. Specifically, many organizations shifted to a more remote workforce this year. Our most recent employee benefits survey that Justin was citing earlier in the episode found that in 2018, 53% of workplaces offered telecommuting or working from home. And then in 2020, there was a jump to 74% of employers that were offering the benefit. And our forthcoming COVID-19 study found that before the pandemic, on average, 13% of workforces worked remotely. And that figure jumped to 50% during the pandemic. That's a huge jump. The question going forward is, what will the workplace look like in the future? Good, good question. We're all wondering that. Yes. The next trend is the increased utilization of telemedicine benefits. Now, interest in telemedicine spiked in 2020. Only 53% of workplaces offered telemedicine in 2018, compared to 80% in 2020. As employees looked for ways to avoid going to the doctor or to, you know, simply couldn't get an appointment with their primary care provider, telemedicine became a no-brainer for organizations to start offering if they hadn't already. And I will say that anecdotally that both this and telecommuting seem like benefits that have been around for a while. I've been doing this for a while. We've heard about this for a while, but they had relatively low utilization. 
I think the current conditions may have forced employees and organizations to utilize these new offerings, and I think they're finding them effective. So maybe there is a little bit of a silver lining in 2020 in the benefits arena, at least. (laughs) Maybe a little something. Yeah. (laughs) So the next trend that we identified is the uh, continued growth of mental health benefits and their importance. So in the midst of the crises that greeted us in 2020, mental health and self-care became paramount. Employers continued offering support through mental health benefits, with 77% providing this offering. Meditation and mindfulness is provided by 27% of organizations. And employee assistance programs, or EAPs, which is offered by 88% of workplaces, uh, remains a consistently popular benefit. And our most recent COVID-19 study found slight increases in EAP utilization during the pandemic. And related to Julie's comments earlier, we've seen growth in organizations offering telebehavioral health benefits. So this is access to mental health services via telephone or virtual meeting. About 40% offered this service before the pandemic, with an additional 26% offering due to the pandemic specifically. The next trend is the change in healthcare costs, specifically related to the number of claims. As many this year opted to delay outpatient procedures or primary care visits, employers continued offering coverage to help employees stay healthy. Our most recent COVID-19 study tracked the number of claims in several different categories. As expected, compared with 2019, organizations are seeing decreases in the number of claims for elective procedures, dental benefits, preventive care, primary care, vision benefits, and emergency room visits. So looking forward to 2021, organizations are expecting increases in the number of claims for all measured offerings. Most prominently, we're looking at telehealth, mental health, primary care, elective procedures, preventive care, dental, and prescription drug benefits. As issues of racial injustice and unrest in our community brought diversity, equity, and inclusion issues to light, many employers stepped in to start a dialogue or become part of a solution. As one example, many companies chose this year to start offering Juneteenth as a paid holiday. For the first time with this survey, we asked employers about offering Juneteenth as a paid holiday, 8% currently offer it, and 17% are considering adding it. Moving into 2021, it's likely employers will continue to focus on DE&I initiatives with their employees and within their community. So next on our list is a focus on child care and elder care benefits. So for employees turned caregivers due to the pandemic, benefits like subsidies, dependent care FSAs, and resource and referral services for uh, child or elder care became important offerings. Along with these tangible offerings, we found that during the pandemic, organizations are offering Uh, new levels of workplace flexibility to assist in these duties. This most often includes letting workers change work hours to accommodate children's childcare and schooling needs, as, as well as elder care needs. Our final 2020 trend involves a benefits category that we continually track in our employee benefits study, which is the prevalence of at work perks. Will at work perks like coffee service, trendy things like nap rooms, Casual dress codes change as we step into the new work environment of 2021. Only time will tell. That's right. 
We'll find out maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be hard to switch back to not wearing leggings every day, I think for a lot of employees. So the casual dress code will be something to watch. Yes. So that is it for 2020, but there are a few things we think you should keep your eye on as they develop next year. Here's our 2021 watch list. So on everyone's mind at the moment is COVID vaccines. And it's looking like inoculations will be rolled out over the upcoming days, weeks, and months. So the availability of a vaccine is raising questions for employers. For one, uh, should they cover the vaccine through their prescription drug plan? While there will not be a cost to the vaccine itself, there may be a charge to administer it. Another question employers are asking, uh, should they offer the vaccination on-site at the company location? There are several things to consider the availability of supply, being able to keep it at the right temperature, if appropriate, and the possible need for two shots, uh, depending on the specific vaccine that's used. A third question, can and should they mandate their employees to get the vaccine? Experts cite the legal precedent surrounding flu shots in the past. Employers can require employees to get the flu vaccine, and if they do, they should be mindful of employee objections for disability or religious reasons and should consider making accommodations under the ADA or Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. And in the case of a COVID vaccine, employers should also be mindful of safety concerns. And as I'm not an attorney, nor do I play one on TV, any employer considering this issue should speak with their legal counsel, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So our next item on the watch list, will ACA survive the Supreme Court? Oral arguments in the case California versus Texas were heard in October with a decision expected in the spring, possibly the end of the term in June. This case deals with ACA's minimum coverage provision, also known as the individual mandate, and at issue are three points. Do the plaintiffs, first of all, have standing to sue? Did reducing the individual mandate to $0 at the end of 2017 make this ACA provision unconstitutional? And if yes, does that make the entire ACA law unconstitutional? Or can the mandate provision be severed from the law? Julie, why would the penalty being $0 make that ACA provision unconstitutional? That is a very great question, Anne. This all ties back to a 2012 Supreme Court decision that found the individual mandate penalty to be a tax. And therefore, uh, it was within Congress's power to mandate under their taxing power. And so therefore they concluded that this provision was constitutional. But if the penalty is now $0, plaintiffs are arguing right now, is it really still a tax? Okay, interesting. Yeah, I know it's kind of confusing. Uh, so the question is, will ACA survive? Based on questions from the justices during the oral arguments, it seems as though the court may decide that even if they find the mandate provision to be unconstitutional, they will probably decide, we think, maybe, not predicting, the provision could be possibly severed from the law so that the law itself would remain constitutional. We will find out in a few months. Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Something else to watch are final rules surrounding healthcare coverage transparency. The Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, and the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is CMS, have spelled out requirements for group health plans and health insurance 
issuers in the individual and group markets to disclose to participants in-network provider negotiated rates, historical out-of-network provider allowed amounts, drug pricing information, and cost sharing information. The information to be disclosed would include an estimate of the individual's cost sharing liability for covered items or services furnished by a medical provider. This information is meant to help an individual comparison shop. The agencies indicate that such comparison shopping may increase provider competition and consumer demand for lower prices. While the rule itself becomes effective on January 11, 2021, implementation deadlines for these provisions fall between 2022 and 2024. So Anne, with the new uh, incoming administration, do you think these rules are going to stay on the books? Yeah, that's a good question. So this was a priority for the Trump administration as a way to reform the healthcare marketplace. Pricing transparency has also been listed as a priority for Joe Biden. So we will see Another issue to watch, these rules hinge on the ACA. If the ACA is not upheld by the Supreme Court, this rule would just go away. So our last item on the watch list looks at retirement plans. Now, we all remember the Bipartisan Secure Act that was passed in December 2019. And at the time it was passed, there was some, quote, unfinished business, unquote, that was left on the table. Some provisions that didn't make it into the law. Bipartisan legislation has been introduced in the House that takes up some of this unfinished business. These would be provisions that would change the age for required minimum distributions from 72 to 75. They would further expand automatic enrollment, increase the savers credit, increase catch-up limits, and as we mentioned earlier, allow for employer matching contributions into 401k plans when participants are paying down their student loan debt. Now, because there is generally bipartisan support for this bill, we may see some movement uh, for this bill in 2021. Uh, Again, another let's watch and see. Now, much of what we've predicted here legislatively will depend on the final Senate races that are going to happen in January. The outcome of those races will determine the balance of power between the parties in the House and the Senate. So more, more stay tuned. It seems like our mantra throughout this episode. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot we talked about to keep up with. All right, we got through it, everybody. Thank you for listening. Yes, yes, and we love our listeners. In this episode, we'd like to dedicate our listener shout out to our newest listener, Kelly Colesrud. We will definitely miss you, Kelly, in the recording booth, but we know that while you've turned off the mic, you're putting in the headphones to make sure that you listen to us every month. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. And we'd love to hear from you too. Drop us a line at podcast at ifebp.org if you have any feedback for us or questions. Thank you for listening and happy holidays, everyone. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all the International Foundation has to offer at ifbp.org. Our show is hosted by Julie Stick, 
Justin Held, and me, Ann Patterson. Produced by Rose Pleva and Stacey Van Alstyne and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2020 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, all rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. And then Justin can end with happy holidays. Does that work? Well, I was thinking we could all sing a like a holiday oh. song together, maybe. What? <laughs> maybe jingle bells. Song? I'm just <laughs> yeah, no, no, no singing. No more. No. Well, we're the foundation family singers. I was hoping Rose could come in and help us. I think everyone has heard me enough. We're good. We're good. We don't need one more thing to add to our year.